not quite sure how to start this. I have a joke I want to tell. And it's not really a joke, it's just a bad story with a good pun. But I don't know how to start it. So, I mean, I, the Old Testament reading was being read, and, and, and I did what most of you do through much of the service. I, I drifted off to think about other things. And, thank you. And, of course, like most of you, I, I was thinking about Star Trek. And I was thinking about the word fo, fa, fos, from which we get epiphany, upon the light, right, or near the light. And I, I was thinking about how in Star Trek, they shoot photon torpedoes. And so, you know, when, when Scotty's giving her off to God, Captain, and, and then the Klingons are there, and they fire the photon torpedoes at the ship, and it hits the ship and it blows up. The blowing up of the ship was literally an epiphany, an epipho. Huh? Told you, bad pun. Bad pun. Ah, whatever. On that, I'll repeat this from first service, too, while I have the chance. I made them a promise. I said... I will never again preach a 30-minute sermon. I will preach a 10-minute sermon or less every single week the moment we have 90% of our assembly at church attendance in Bible study every week. That would do a number of things. It would give us an extra 15 minutes to 20 minutes in Bible study and shorten the service. So, think on that one if you would. The other issue we have this morning is trying to fit two things together that are both really important. One is maintaining our moving through the Old Testament high points and the story. And, and not just the story, the history. Why it's our history. and what it, what it means to have a history, to be a people with a history. But then, look, it's the same idea in one sense, but it's a different one. And it's one that I think you're going to just hear me doing and saying more and more because I can't get it out of my own head which has to do with the way we talk about our history. I mentioned a moment ago Bible class, and I made fun of this in Bible class, so, so you, you might get this twice. <laughs> Sorry. Got to turn the notifications off during the sermon. Jeez. Um, why is it that... That when I say, go to Bible class, I know those of you who don't go have a really good reason. And it's not lunch, right? Uh, it's not breakfast. The really good reason is that, you know, Bible class is kind of a, a painful thing. It's, it's like going to math class. And nobody, see, Liz Temple isn't here. I had to apologize for her service. She's not here. Nobody wants to go to math class. Not on Sunday morning. It's a day of rest. Why would I go to math class? And like theology, that's like math class on steroids. Why would I do that? And so, so I get it. I get that. But here's the thing. Well, first, why is us learning our religion math class? And if it's not, what is it? What should it be? I don't think it's all your fault. I think it's a habit that we have, that we've, we've turned this faith, this trust, this spirituality, this religion, all the same thing, into a head game. 
And so people who don't like head games feel like they can't be part of it. Which I think explains a little bit about why we have so much trouble as Lutherans talking to the world around us. Because in order to become one, you have to like head games or marry someone who does. And I can't stand that. I can't stand the thought that we have the gold of the word of the living God, purely given, confessed, and held. And we've managed to be so self-centered in the way we talk about it that nobody can understand us when we open our mouths. And I guess this is a condemnation of pastors first and people second. You should throw rocks at pastors who you can't understand. So we have this issue of trying to, as a congregation, in this place, at this time, learn how to talk. It is necessary that the words you hear at church every Sunday be the words of God. It is necessary or you will cease being church eventually. I think, check, got it. We're in a good spot right now. Pray for me on that one. It's not about me. But check, we're hearing it. But for the church to be more than just us hearing it, it can't be just hearing it. You must speak it. It must go into you, rattle around that head of yours, regenerate it, turn it into something else without being a head game, an intellectual garbage game. Not like that. Just changing you, as grace, by the way, so that it starts to come out of your mouth again. Not as a head game, not as a theory, and not as, well, homosexuals should stop doing what they're doing. No, I mean, yes, but no. That's not what we're supposed to be saying to the world right now. We're supposed to be saying, thank you, Wendy, for making me think twice on it in Bible study, that God so loves you that Jesus, his only son, was born to die for you. I don't think it's that hard. It is, the devil's against it. It's that hard, but it's not that hard. And it's not that hard to take the deeper truths of it. I want to say the story, but it's just such a bad word. The emotion of it, and to speak it in ways that we're not used to doing, and we certainly don't dogmatize it, but this is, this is exactly it. What is doctrine? When you hear that word, what is it? Is it something that we are supposed to know? Is it the words of Jesus? I think when we say it to people, they hear something we're supposed to know that's not the words of Jesus. But it's important anyway. And I'm not, I don't care about saving the word doctrine. I used to. I don't anymore. I don't care if we never use that word again, but I care a whole lot about the words of Jesus. I care about us believing the words of Jesus, wanting the words of Jesus, willing to die upon the words of Jesus, because you're gonna, or you're no Christian. You're, you die in your bed, sleeping at night, you're either on the words of Jesus or you're not. I want you to know it. I want you to hunger for it. I want you to demand it from me, and I want you to be ready to speak it. And I want to I then take that and pull from the story. So again, photon torpedoes in Star Trek be be, be smart-trekked, 
Star Wars used to be better. Not anymore. Sorry, kids. There's a couple of books out there that you can look at. We talked about it already. One of them is called Broken. I wrote Broken when I was a young kid, and I had, not like seven, but like young pup pastor, and I had this, this little arrogant tick. I wanted to see if I could get away with something. They don't even know this. If they ever watch this, the UCPH is the first they'll hear this. I thought it'd be pretty dang funny if I could get a book published by Concordia Publishing House with a whole chapter on Star Wars, which was really about Star Wars and at the same time made fun of the new movies, which then also happened to explain all of Western civilization in about you know, 10 pages. Yeah. No, he's, no, it, arrogant, right? I think I almost pulled it off. It, it, it hinges on this one piece, though, and, and this is what I want to share. Something really did happen with Star Wars to America, and it's not nerds with toys, that too. But there was a shift in movies, and not, not entertainment, I would say, but, but in the way that movies shape us as people. All the movies made before Star Wars about space were like, the greatest of them, 2001 A Space Odyssey. They were dynamically modern, cold, straight-edged math problem kind of movies. And at the end of 2001, you know, what is humanity's plight? Technology is going to kill us. That's what you get. They're atheist movies, even. And then along comes this, you know, this cowboy movie with, with Harrison Ford in it, in space. And that's all interesting. You know, Luke's got the laser sword and all, all that stuff. And it's not a laser sword, I know. But it is, it is. But the moment that matters is at the end of the first movie, which is slow, it's definitely slower. But the whole thing is this, this magnificent battle between light and darkness. If you ever watch it again, pay attention to light and darkness as colors on the screen. Luke is in white the entire time, and Darth Vader, right? Think about it. As black as it gets. Darkness. Evil. That battle's going on, and it comes to a head during which little beaten-down light is going to make an attempt to destroy the big, bad, evil darkness, and he has to shoot a photon torpedo. <laughs> it's amazing. Um, and somebody already got a chance. There's a hole. The photon torpedo's got to go in the hole. Someone got there. They aimed. They used the computer, and they missed. So what's Luke do? He hears the ghost of his teacher talking to him. Weird. Um, and he tells him, pray, Luke. Pray. And Luke turns off his computer and he prays the torpedoes into the hole and it blows up and light wins. Light wins through spirituality in a space movie. I mean, he doesn't say pray, he says use the force, right? But, but it's the same thing. Something shifted in our culture at that moment. We shifted from atheistic modernists to mystical experiential pagans. That is, believing God's in nature. And we're just tumbling through that right now. If you want more, buy the book. But my point now is this. What we loved in that was moving away from everything being an intellectual, rigorous, tied-in, tight thing into something that meant something. 
a story that meant something. And Christianity and Lutheranism particularly is like, what, 45 years now? We still haven't figured out? We got to tell the story? Every time I hear this, I hate it. Someone says, times have changed, so the church needs to change. The church needs to learn how to speak to the culture. Every time someone says that I hate it, and the reason is because then when they try to do it, they actually change everything at substance. They don't translate it. They put a different one in, and it's a bad one. It's a false one. Another book out there. Will the real Jesus please stand up? It's about the 15 different Jesuses preached in America today, including cheerleader Jesus and life coach Jesus. It's a good book. You should pick it up. Anyhow. Every time someone says this kind of stuff, it goes bad. And so there's a good reason why. I hope you're like, Pastor, what are you saying? There's a good reason for that question, because we don't want to do that. But we also don't want to insist that people become Lutherans before they visit. We don't want to insist they become Lutherans before they can understand us. We want to speak what we have to them as they can hear it. And I think Star Wars, particularly that first one, Luke in white and Darth Vader in black, it teaches us that people love light versus darkness because they want to be in the light. And we're in Epiphany, the season of light in the midst of darkness, where there's shining the life of this Newborn but soon grown man who himself will burst into light upon a mountaintop to show who he really is, to reveal, to be near the light. He's here, God among us. He will then get nailed to a cross on a day when the sun stopped shining because our darkness was that great. And yet it could not cover him. For three days later at dawn, the light peeks over the hills and there's an empty tomb and Jesus risen. How is that story not being told as fiction if not truth? It's so good. And there's so much more. And this is, again, I'm trying to do two things at once. I don't know how. The Moses stuff here. Moses, by the time that this gnarly bit of his life happens, is in darkness. His the boys of his, of his generation, the, the children his age, who would be his peers, have all been thrown into a river. That's dark first by itself. We heard this last week, though, by the majesty of God saving through water. We'll get to that next week with the Red Sea again. He is plucked up and put within the household of Pharaoh, who is himself, according to his own words, God, which makes... Moses, an adopted son of God, so far as the Egyptians are concerned. Well, that's kind of interesting. But then he manages to, to muck it all up. He kills a guy, which, according to the rules that are set up, even if you're the adopted son of God, you get the death penalty, so he runs away. And he flees to the middle of nowhere, back then called Midian. And in Midian, he, he stumbles into a lowly sheik's group of people, finds his way in as a shepherd, gets some work, marries his daughter, has a couple of kids. But he's in total darkness. And I'll tell you why. I mean, really, 
You should be able to figure it out, but there's not enough. There's too much of the story that's hidden. You have to jump way ahead. After he meets the bush, he ends up finally going to Egypt. And along the way, God shows up, and he's going to kill Moses' two sons. He's there with a flaming sword, going to strike them through. And Moses' wife, Zipporah, she jumps in front and says, no, hold on, wait. They go to the side, she takes out a knife, and she cuts off the foreskin of her two sons, who are both like 8 and 12 or whatever at that point, cuts off their foreskin. They're bleeding everywhere from the private part. Then they go back and God lets them pass. Now that's a weird story too, isn't it? As bizarre as anything. Unless you remember that that whole thing about the circumcision... That's God's sign that he's going to save them from sin, death, the power of the devil. And Moses somehow didn't put it on his sons on the eighth day. Well, why is that, Moses? Is it because you're just in Midian and you've become one of them? Is it because everyone in Egypt had forgotten and they weren't even doing it anymore? I'm not entirely sure. But what I do know is it means that by the time he's out on a mountain that he knows nothing about, but will be Mount Sinai, Mount Horeb, all the way through the Old Testament, that place, he's out there with a bunch of sheep, and he sees in the crevice some glowing something, and he goes to see it. I know at that point he's about as saved as the Magi. He's following nothing. He's chasing experience and light but light in the wrong place, light without knowledge, light without truth. And then it just gets hilarious to me from that point on. I'm sorry, there's a lot of movie references today. I'm not really that into movies. But I can never think about this moment where he walks in to whatever cave or crevice or corner this, this thing was, and he sees this shrubbery, this tree, this thing, I mean, it's, it, I don't, it wouldn't look like this at all, a Christmas tree, but it would have been green, I think, because he can see from far away it's not burning normal. And if you saw wood burning, it was just the wood, you'd be like, yeah, it's just wood on fire. But, but he, he goes, I've got to see this thing. It's getting consumed, and yet it's not getting consumed. What is this? And I cannot, for the life of me, think of this, and apparently not talk about it, without referencing that great movie of movies, The Three Amigos, which... There's a few chuckles. I did this at first service too, and I was kind of embarrassed by it, uh, it but we're going to do it. How many? Three amigos. First service is close to cooler than you, just so you know. Um, Blazing Saddles, kind of maybe. Monty Python on the Holy Grail. A little more. Well, good. You got them there. They didn't know that one. I was like, what? Really? So, Three Amigos. This is, it's not a terrible movie, it's a stupid movie. Steve Martin, Chevy Chase, Martin Short. They are actors. They go to Mexico to stop El Guapo, the bad guy in Mexico, from doing bad stuff. They think it's a big show. Hilarity ensues. It's a real fight. In the midst of having to find the the fortress of of El Guapo, um, they have to go and get directions, and they're told to get directions, they have to go talk to the singing bush. And they they come down the pathway, and there's, there's a bush there, and it's waving its foliage, and it's singing. And she'll be coming around the mountain. When she comes, she'll be coming around the mountain. And, you know, they go up and they ask it, are, are you the singing bush? And it just keeps singing. Finally, someone's like, I think it's the singing bush. And it keeps saying, good night, ladies. I mean, it just keeps going on and on and on. But again, I, I can't watch the movie then without thinking about Moses. It goes both ways. We did this a little while ago with Abraham. 
right? Abraham comes home, hey dad, God told me to cut the foreskin off my son and we're all going to move over to Canaan. What do you say? Let's go. God told you. What are you talking about, man? I, I guess we can. That's weird. Okay, well, so this one's like, he comes home from work one day. Hey, honey, I was talking to a bush and it told me to go to Egypt. Let's go, right? Oh, no, I tried to talk him out of it, but he won't let me. <laughs> it's just nuts. What, what is it? Now, there's a couple of things, though, that we can really tie to this echo-wise, right? Um, shadow of Jesus-wise. One would be the tree of life in the garden. The tree of life, the tree from which the light of God in immortality is meant to be given forever. You can kind of tie it there. Of course, you can tie it to the tree of the cross in a fully symbolic way. For here, Christ was consumed by the fires of God's wrath and yet was not consumed in the resurrection. So you got that as well. Uh, you also just have this reality, and we did this pretty hard this morning in Bible study. God is so mysterious and above us. He is God and we are not. That he does things beyond our understanding. It's just the way that it is. And it's not that the tree as a symbol is beyond our understanding. It's, it was burning and didn't burn. How is that possible? It can't be. So the next time you're in an argument about the Lord's Supper, well, it's bread, uh, but he says it's Jesus, but it's bread, obviously, so it can't be. And Jesus has a human body and he's in heaven, so he can't be here also. It doesn't work that way. Okay, that's the game you're playing. Talk to me about the burning bush. Was that really a bush that was actually just burning and it did get consumed after Moses left? Or do miracles happen? So, so there's that piece of it all here too. All of that's fascinating in the story. But again, so here he is, out at work, in darkness, pagan of pagans. Bush starts saying, hey man, you're not who you think you are. I'm the God of your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I'm going to send you to destroy darkness. I'm going to send you to unleash people in bondage. You are my hero. Not like I think you're a hero. You're my avatar hero. Now again, put yourself in a completely different scenario. Imagine for a moment that you are not a Christian. Okay, You're just some pagan in an ancient world. You don't believe in science yet. <laughs> Another bad movie, Woolery. Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll refrain, I promise. I won't go there. Um, you don't believe in science yet. You're just some pagan. And you're out somewhere, and an actual god shows up. Thor, or Zeus, shows up. Hey, you're my avatar, not like, you know, on the computer. Like, you are the face of me to humanity. Go and wage war. I mean, wouldn't you run out and be like, yeah, I am, you know? Wow, I got, I got Zeus behind me now. Nothing's going to stop me. I mean, that's kind of what Achilles' life is in the, in the stories. And yet, that's not what he does at all. He argues with the real God who's talking to him from the mysterious burning bush about how that God doesn't know what he's doing and can't do what he's telling him to do. Which should teach us something else that's dogmatic. Original sin which is the critically wicked nature of our minds, that anything sounds true as long as God doesn't say it. And if God says it, it doesn't matter how reasonable or true it is, we think, ah, I, don't, I don't know. And it's just who we are. 
So he debates God, oh, I can't talk well. Oh, I'm a little bit nervous. And God, this is a big Samuel L. Jackson moment for me as well. You've got to use his voice. Who made man's mouth? Was it not I? He's yelling at Moses at that point. He says he, his, his rage is kindled against Moses. But why is his rage kindled? It's another thing. Because he wants to save. Because he wants life. Because he wants light. Here he is breaking into the darkness as light. And we're like, go away. So he takes Moses by the ear and he drags him to Egypt as a picture of, again, many things, but most of all, you You not going to Egypt in slavery, but you being bound to the one who came out of it, the son who was called out of Egypt, yes, out of the grave. Moses goes to Egypt so that that story might happen then as history, as prophecy of it happening to Jesus in the flesh so that it might be told you're in Jesus now too. And what happened to Jesus has happened to you. And all that bit, we won't get to today from 2 Peter, about being partakers, fellowshippers in the divine nature. I mean, that needs some translation badly. But it means that you are one with the eternal God now. What is this meal? It's just that, divinity entering your stomach and your flesh. So I've said it before, I'll say it again, you're immortal now, you can't die. That truth here now for you, the question that I started with a little bit is, why don't we talk about that more? Why does that not influence our decision-making process? Why in discussions about things like weekly communion is the real issue whether I like it or not? And not what's true. And I guess maybe most importantly, if we, St. Paul Lutheran Church, but Lutherans in general, LCMS in particular, if we don't believe our own stuff, now excuse me, why the hell would anybody come to our church? And if we think it's boring and don't want to pay any attention to it, no one's going to come to our church. If this is not more than doctrine, but is what the reformers called it life, doctrine is life, lair er leave. If it's not life, well then we don't have life, do we? Now I don't want to go pietist on you and I don't want to change anything. You know this already. We're going back, not forward. But I do want you to hear. I want you to hear in such a way you can't help but say it again. You don't have to go tell people about the etymology of epiphany. It doesn't matter. But you're walking out of here today, people of the light, into a world of darkness that doesn't know. And as the Bible study heard, my kids and I had a little discussion on the physics of light the other day. It was a blast. I won't get into it, but when there's darkness in a room, it just means there's nothing there. Darkness isn't a thing. It's just, it's just there's nothing there because you know when you take light into the room, there's nothing there except what's in the room, but there's, there's no other thing. The darkness isn't a thing. The light, just, the light just isn't there yet. 
down the street, out the way. The light just isn't there yet. It's in you now. In the name of Jesus. Amen.